And now from Race of the One Light, weekly commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. This week, how shall we meet our tests? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Last week, we considered Satan's temptation of Jesus in the wilderness after his baptism by John. We discussed the question, does Satan exist? All of us experience temptation of one kind or another in our lives. Some of us frequently, others only occasionally. Whether temptation comes to us from our own subconscious or from outside ourselves is secondary to the fact that it does come and that we must deal with it. More important, then, is the question how to deal with it. In fact, how to deal with a test of any kind. Martin Luther flung an ink of pot at the devil who had appeared to test him. A dark stain on the wall of Luther's cell is pointed out to the tourists supporting of this story. Unfortunately, our trials are not often so summarily dismissed. As a fellow monk once said to Swami Kriyananda, speaking of Satan, if only I could get my hands on him. Jesus, during his temptation in the wilderness, overcame them and thereby set an example for all time by clinging the more, more determinedly to God. As Paramahansa Yogananda used to say, darkness cannot be driven out of the room with a stick. Once you turn on the light, however, the darkness will vanish as though it had never been. Jesus manifested this principle. The Bible tells us the, therefore that at last the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. In the Bhagavad Gita, the point is clarified further by the added explanation that there are three qualities in human nature, sadvic or spiritual elevating, rajasic or ego activating, and tamasic or spiritually darkening. It is this trion aspect of human nature that the third chapter refers to with the words, as fire is hidden by smoke, as mirror is dull by rust, and as an embryo is enclosed in the womb, so is the indwelling self enveloped by desire. Yogananda explained that each of these examples describes one of the qualities, or gunas, sattva guna, which, that which elevates our consciousness, can be free of any identity with ego by a little puff of meditation and right affirmation. Rayaguna, which embroils the ego in restless activity, can be worked off with a little more and a little longer effort. Tamaguna, embracing as it does such a mental state of laziness and stupidity, can only be outgrown in time since it inhibits even the desire for self-improvement. The example Jesus gave us was intended more for those in whom sattva guna is pre predominant. But if you are 
if you yourself find elements in your consciousness that resist even the effort to cling to God in prayer and meditation, don't despair. Patience, as it has been well said, is the fastest path to God. As long as your efforts take you steadfastly in the right direction, you will come out right in time. Remember Yogananda's words, a saint is a sinner who never gave up. If, however, your nature impels you, even against your will, to move in the wrong direction towards egoic desires and away from God, strive at least to detach yourself mentally from your wrong actions, which are induced by habit. The time will come when their own stored-up energy will tire and diminish. At that time, if you have not contributed to that energy by your consenting will, you will find it is pos it possible at last to redirect your energies more constructively. Thus, holy, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Good morning, everyone. I'd like to welcome you again to Sunday service. My name is Atman. This is Bhakti Marg. We both serve here at Ananda Village, and it's our joy to share our Sunday service with you, either here in the Temple of Light or for those that are tuning in online. I'd like to start or continue with a reading from Whispers from Eternity, Prayer Demands by Paramahansa Yogananda. Slip thy little dewdrop into thy great lake, not to become lost, but to merge into oneness with thee. Teach me to be a dewdrop, enchanted with divine love, slipping unaffected down the lotus leaf of seductive sense lures to thy glistening waters of wisdom. I am thy immortal dewdrop, sliding freely and not adhering to the leaves of past, present, and future lives. I smooth the slopes of my mind with wise restraint that the thirsty pores of temptation might absorb none of my strength. I am thy prodigal dewdrop, quivering in the hollows of life and death, waiting to slip down when it can to thy shoreless sea. Though long truant, I, thy tiny dewdrop, am homeward bound, however long the journey take. After this rhythmic dance of life, rising with birth and singing, sinking with the downbeat of death, I will refresh myself at last in thy unmoving sea. I do not want to lose myself. Thy tiny dewdrop craves only by merging in thee to feel that I am one with all the other drops in thy ocean. I will be a rainbow-hued dewdrop, one with thy omnipresence, and yet in my omniscience, aware of my former dewdrop existence. I pray that all God-thirsty souls will come and drink from the great source of all our lives. So as we're, as Yogananda teaches us, as we're taught in the teachings of self-realization, there's a couple of very fundamental points as devotees, as seekers, that 
we always have to remember, which are very important today's topic. And that is that everything that comes to us comes from God. Everything that comes to us comes specifically to us because of our past actions, our past karma, our past tendencies. There are no mistakes. Everything that comes to us comes, as Yogananda said, for our further spiritual growth. So what are tests? Tests are just looking wrongly at what comes to us and seeing them as something that shouldn't be happening to us, rather than as something that is given to us by God, given to us by the guru, to help improve, to help grow in self-realization. So it's a very difficult thing to always keep in mind, because aren't we often thinking, this shouldn't be happening to me, or boy, I really don't like this, or this is something that, uh, this just isn't mine, this should be somebody else. Well, guess what? Everything is there for a reason. There are no mistakes. And it all comes down to the attitude of how we react, how we look at those things that come to us. Do we look at them as ways to get past our bonds of ego consciousness, of our delusions, of our desires, of our limitations, to expand away from identification with a little self into the larger self, to realize oneness with who we really are, with that oneness of God of the universe, to do that expansion. So is it contraction or is it expansion? So that's really what it's all about with our tests. And Aaron last week talked a lot about tuning into higher consciousness, about giving it back to God, about really trying to see why things are coming to us, what are they doing. So I talked to, I'd like to talk a little bit more today about tests or these so-called tests, which are really just opportunities that are being brought to us and how we can work with those. So a lot of the time, the tests that come are related to the past habits, as I said in the reading, to our past karmas, things that we've been dealing with for lifetimes. And often they're related to the lower energies in our body. After all, in five to eight million lifetimes, we've been trying to cling to life and that self-preservation, that procreative instinct, that sense of trying to control our environment. Those lower tendencies are very, very strong and they still come and bother us whether we're on the path or not and they're important to deal with. And for people who aren't on the path, that's the main sort of delusions and tests that they get to. There's the you know, the three main delusions that Yogananda mentioned are sex, wine or intoxicants, and money or power. And these relate, of course, to the lower chakras. And most people are just trying to f get out of pain, find how they can find pleasure, how they can get away from these, these delusions, and, or they don't see them as delusions, but get rid of these uncomfortable things that are coming. And the devotee, of course, sees them in a slightly different way. He sees them as, well, what's happening when I 
you know, sex, wine, and money. It's binding me to the ego. It's pulling me down. It's, it's putting me in that lower energy. It's taking me away from my oneness, my identification with other people's realities, with that oneness in God, with that expansion. So just be aware. They're, they're, not, uh, they're not going to go away. They're not easy. I mean, the procreative force, the sex force, is the strongest force in the universe. It keeps us, keeps the human race going. It keeps us procreating. It keeps this life going on. So it's not going to go away easily. And that sense of, you know, this expansion is too much for me. I need to dull my senses. Why don't I drink something? Why don't I take a drug? That's going to be there too. And we just have to realize it. And as it says in the readings, even if those temptations come, just don't identify with them. Say, this too will pass. This is not deep. My aspirations are upward. So as devotees, though, there's other kinds of tests that come to us. And I want to talk a little bit about those. One of them in particular is that when you announce to yourself or you put forth the intention that I'm here to find God, that I'm here to get out of this mud. I'm here to go past my lower tendencies. There's something more. I realize that. I'm trying to expand into that oneness. So what happens? You know, whether you have a guru or not, God, Divine Mother says, okay, great, you finally woke up. So guess what? I'm going to send you some more tests that can help you wake up even faster. So oftentimes we have this sense that when we come on the spiritual path, where it's going to be all rosy and blissful, and often to get us on the spiritual path, we're given those experiences. We have experiences of great peace or in meditation or beauty or oneness or that sense of divine love. And these are real. They're, they're wonderful. But what we don't necessarily realize is that as devotees, we may also start getting more difficult or more challenging tests, more opportunities to get past our karma faster. And I don't know, you may have had the experience with yourself or seeing other people, but isn't it true that you see people come onto the path and everything's rosy and then next thing you hear that they're They've had an accident, or they're facing some illness, or they've had a loss in their life, or they've lost their job, or, you know, these things happen, and sometimes it shakes people, and they say, oh my God, you know, here I'm giving myself to God, and all of a sudden, I'm getting beat up. Well, relax. It's to help you grow. It's to given in Divine Mother's love to speed up that passing of that karma, to get through that. And then there's another part of the opportunities for growth that comes. This is what we talked about last week, and that's through Satan. So Satan is this outward, this, this, this pull of this force that brings us away from the divine, away from unity. And as we said, it's a conscious, living force. And when somebody makes the intention to say, I'm going to try to purify myself, I'm going to try to go inward, I'm going to try to experience more of that oneness, there's a conscious effort, a conscious pulling forth by this evil, satanic forces, whatever you want to call it, to pull you back the other way. So again, as devotees, we may experience things that aren't necessarily from our past bad actions or aren't necessarily from something 
that other people might experience. It's just, we're trying to put good, we're trying to bring light into the world, and Satan, that force, sees that and tries to pull us back the other way. And so, just be aware, it's okay. You can triumph because, as Master said, as devotees, you'll never receive a test or an, an opportunity that you don't have the power to overcome or to meet. So that's a very, very reassuring thought because oftentimes it seems, you know, we're getting slammed with these things. We don't know what to do with it. But again, it's always hold on to that. How do I affirm where I'm trying to go? How do I affirm oneness, expansion, going upward? How do I hold onto the hem of Divine Mother's robe to help me get out of these delusions? And there's one thing in particular that uh, I wanted to touch on too that's sort of helpful in understanding how you do that. And that's the concept of tapasya. So tapasya is one of the niyamas in Patanjali or in Raja Yoga. We learn there's the yamas and the niyamas, the constraints and observances, sort of the 10 commandments on the path of the right attitudes of how we can live in our lives. And one of the observances that we're urged to observe is tapasya. And that's often translated as austerity. And it's, it's really, in this case, you can think of it as our tests come, that austerity is redirecting of energy. It's giving up some of these little desires, some of these temptations, some of these delusions that pull us downwards, and it's conserving that energy. It's pulling back. So it's this renunciation. It's this, you know, sort of, I mean, this austerity. But why? It's austerity to regather our forces, to regather our energy, to be able to use that energy to rise above, to move more into that expansiveness of God, to move past the test that's coming to us. And so that, that sense of austerity can also be looked at in another way. It can be translated sometimes as devotion. Now, you don't really think of these, you know, these people, these yogis with, uh, you know, raising their arm up or these great Christian saints doing these penance or this stuff. You don't really necessarily think of that as the same as devotion. But when we flip it around, what are we doing with that conserved energy? We're withdrawing the energy from the body, from the material desires, from the self, and we're using it to move upward into God. So we're redirecting it into a joyful self-offering. What's joyful self-offering? It's devotion. So remember that withdrawing on one hand, building up those forces, storing that energy to be able to offer it up to take us to where we want to go. And in the literature, spiritual literature is filled with scriptures and epics of, of these heroes who are off going to do tapasya in India or penance as it's called. You know, for example, in the Mahabharata, the Pandavas, the forces of good, to gather their forces to be able to overcome their evil cousins, the Kauravas, the forces of material desire, what did they do? They went into the wilderness for a while. They went and did tapasya, to penance. Arjuna went off into the high Himalaya and did long periods of meditation and worship and sacrifice to Shiva to gain the weapons that he needed to fight in this war. Well, this is the same thing we're trying to do. We're withdrawing our energy. We're going 
separating from this material world that's always pulling us out there and to regain, to strengthen that energy so we can use it in the battle to come to overcome those tests. Now, unlike the heroes of these epics, we don't really have to go looking for tapasya. So tapasya comes to us. It comes to us every day in all these tests that we're being given, all these opportunities. So look at that as the heroic penance that you can do, the tapasya. For example, you know, if you have financial difficulties, it's an opportunity to say, what's really important? What do I really need to survive? How can I rely on God more and less on my sense of this? If you have a health challenge, it's an opportunity to say, what is my, where does my energy come from? Where does this life really come from? To tune into divine will, to tune into energetic healing, to tune into just separating yourself a bit from the body. You said, okay, this is the body. This is not my soul. This is not who I am. The soul cannot be burned. It cannot be to be killed. It cannot be dried up. It cannot be eliminated. I am that soul. Hold on to that thought. All these other things that come to us, all these things that I don't like this. This is a delusion. These temptations just say, okay, this is my opportunity for tapasya to to gather my forces to move higher. And it even comes in, there's the big test, but then also look at it as the little opportunities to get past the carping spirit, the, the sense of negativity, the urge to gossip, the urge of sarcasm for others, to indulge in moods, to indulge the ego. These are all opportunities more subtle that they come to the devotee. These are all opportunities to practice that tapasya, that redirection of energy. So I also wanted to talk about the inspiration that I've gotten in my life on how really to deal with these opportunities for growth, these tests. And that, of course, is through our teacher and founder of Ananda, Swami Kriyananda. And Swami Kriyananda, through his writings, through his example of his life, through his talks, through the writings of other, has given us a tremendous examples of how to deal with these kind of things, how to redirect that energy, how to always be looking for the highest. And initially, you know, he too said he was, he had some of the things, some of these habits, these karmic patterns carried over from past lives that he dealt with intellectual pride. He dealt with some attachment to some basic material pleasures and stuff. But Master, you know, Master saw that in Yogananda and ferreted that out in his, in his days with his master at the, the hermitage. And he said, you know, Yogananda said, look how I've changed Walter. That was how he called Swami Kriyananda when, Walter, Kriyananda, thought he was the one doing the work, but again, it was the guru, it was the grace that was coming through. He was trying to redirect the energy, but he was drawing on that grace to come. That's very, very important. And he also talks about in his autobiography the path of, you know, a much bigger test, of the test of doubt. And Yogananda saw that in his past lives, even though he was Kriyananda was a very advanced soul when he came into this. He still brought some things from past incarnations that he had to overcome. And one of those was just doubts. And so Yogananda saw that. He sent him out to the 29 palms and he, he said, okay, I want you to edit my writings. 
work like lightning, don't change a word, and that's basically all the instructions he gave them. And he left them alone for three weeks, for three months, without very much interaction. And during this time, these forces within Kriyananda came to the fore. He started wondering, what am I doing? How does this work? Masters abandoned me. I don't feel divine love. I don't feel what's going on. All these things, this maybe is not the right path. Maybe he's not my guru. All these doubts came to a head. And he, he said he was in, it was one of the lowest periods of his life. He said he was in total despair at times. But he then came out of that, having redirected his energy, growing even stronger, to know that, in fact, I'm never going to doubt again. I've had doubts. I've worked through them. And now I know I have to go forward. And Master said, that's why, that's why you had these tests, because in the past you doubted. But I need you to help and bring these teachings out to many, many people. And you won't be able to do that if you indulge in moods and doubts. So he moved completely past that through that test. But it was a, a very, very difficult test, which was pulled out with the Guru's grace. Another, of course, for those of you who know anything about Kriyananda's life, one of the biggest tests, as you can imagine, was his forced separation from his guru's organization. So he was asked to leave the organization. After Yogananda's passing, he was asked to leave the organization that his guru had founded. And as you can imagine, this was, this was an incredible blow. He had given his entire life to this. He saw these fellow disciples as his brothers and sisters. All he wanted to do was to serve master. And it took him, he said it was one of the lowest points of his life that he, he had to really search. And not only was he separated, but he faced some incredibly sharp criticism and attacks and, you know, just excoriation and opprobrium heaped on him by especially one of his fellow disciples. And he, it really made him go inside. It really made him say, all right, what do I know? What is my strength? I know I'm a disciple of a great guru. I know I have dedicated my life to this. I know what he asked me to do. I know how to go forward. And he said later that all this criticism, all this, this, this negativity that he received helped give him the spiritual strength that he needed to go forward in the founding of Ananda, to writing his 150 books, to creating all this music, to founding the communities. But that test, that separation, was very, very difficult. But he came to see it as Ananda Moyama told him, said, see it as Guru's grace. And he was able to flip that around and say, OK, this is the grace of the Guru. This is giving me the strength that I need to do what I need to do. And of course, those tests continued. And there were times when Ananda, one of them in particular, Ananda faced many years of lawsuits, again, trying to strip away from Ananda and from Kriyananda especially his right to represent Yogananda, represent Master. And again, Kriyananda said, by holding on to the, to the guru, holding on to always focusing on the highest, always looking for dharma, never sinking to the depths of personalities, of trying to uh, of bringing hate into it or anything but love for those who are against us. I came to see this as just another 
battle of light versus darkness. At one point, he wrote to the community during the lawsuits, and he said, you know, this is something, this isn't what's just happening here. This is something that's happening on a much higher plane. There's a there's these forces of light and darkness, of expansion of God and Satan, which are battling it out. And we're part of this battle. And this, these legal challenges are part of this battle. And we are going to prevail because the work that Master gave us, which Yogananda gave us, is a, it's a life-changing work for a millennia. It's bringing out these teachings of self-realization into a new era, a new time. And that's what happened through this lawsuit. It was master for the world. Swami Ananda grew into their place as representatives of master of a particular part of this ray and were able to take that out into the world. Some other tests of, of Kriyananda we're again in this realm of the satanic influences or the darkness trying to, to pull, pull him away from what he was doing. And in the 20 years that I knew him, that I lived here, he was almost constantly facing some sort of quite severe often health challenges. And we'd, you know, we'd be praying for him and you know, one thing after another and he'd do this Yet at the same time, he was incredibly productive. He was incredibly creative, doing all kinds of things, not only facing these tests of, of legal challenges, but also writing books and creating music and founding communities and just being able to bring that out there. And people would often say to him, said, Swami, you have to rest. My God, look at you. You're, you know, you're driving yourself into the ground. And he would say, no. And then people would come back again, Swami, please, you know, you can't do this. You have, to, you, have to, you have to rest a little bit. This is too much for your body. And he would just say no. At one point, it got to the point, he said to someone, he said, Satan, get thee behind me. And the person said, oh, I don't think I'm being helpful here. Because Kriyananda felt that, you know, he was putting all his willpower, this was just a, a test. And what his guru wanted him to do was to rise above that. You know, it didn't matter if his heart was beating at 180 beats a minute, if he would wake up and he had no energy, or if his limbs were swollen, or he couldn't eat. He would just keep going forward. And this was very, very evident in his later years when he went to India. He decided to bring his master's teachings, Yogananda's teachings, back to India in 2003. He was already a, uh, he was an older gentleman, shall we say. He was 77 years old. He wasn't in great health. He had had, you know, all these difficulties before, but he decided, no, this is what we want we to do. And he said, you know, the climate of India may well kill me, but I feel like this is what I should be doing. And so he did it. And every time before he had some sort of a big event, like he would give a talk at Siri Fort, and he was in the hotel the day before. This is a very important talk to launch the uh, work in one of India's main venues. And he went, he couldn't even walk. He was out at the gift shop. He could only walk four or five steps and then sit down. He had to rest. And then he had to walk a little bit more and sit down and rest. It was all he could do to get back to his room where he collapsed into bed. This was the day before this major event. But what happened? Every single time when he had to come out on stage, he had to be given an arm. Sometimes he came out in a wheelchair. But as soon as he got back there, 
the darkness lifted, he was able to channel his guru, channel master, and give these incredibly energetic, inspiring speeches. And this happened over and over again. There was one time also when there was a lot of difficulty in the Italian community. And he said, I can't go back to Italy. I can't travel. What can I do? How can I help? Just at that point, he fell. And again, his body took on some of the karma through the pain that he felt. He took on some of that karma. That tapasya he did helped other things. And the last story I want to tell is just one of his most important works of his life was the founding of the Naya Swami order. So this is the order that people you see wearing the blue robes. And it's, a, it's an order that's not unique to Ananda. It was something that he felt a new definition of renunciation need to be brought into the world, that it was not so much of what we're not doing, but how we're embracing the search for God. And so he founded this, this new order, this Naya Swami order. Right before that happened, he came very, very, very close to death, probably closer than he had in any of the other ones. For, for days, he had all kinds of problems going on. People didn't know what was wrong with him. They tried everything. There had to be a rhythm around the clock. He made it back to Italy, but he, was, he could barely move. And then one day, he just he got up and he said, I know now what Satan's been trying to stop. And he came forth with this inspiration for the new Naya Swami order. And from that point on, at that moment on, he got better. When he left Italy, he didn't even need a cane anymore. So he, he was, again, confronted by that force, but moved through it because he said, this is, this is what the divine will wants. This is what I want to do. Now, Kriyananda is a, is a very high soul. He's a very energetic soul with a very specific mission. But you know, as devotees, we can tune into that too, that example, that we're part of this as well. So it's our own self-realization, but also sharing with others, sharing those teachings, bringing light into this world. And again, we will be given the strength we need to do that. So just see everything that comes to us, no matter how disappointing, no matter how steeped in delusion, no matter how disagreeable, there are no mistakes. It comes to you for a reason. Make the best of it. Keep calling him. Keep calling him. Keep calling. You know my 
Keep calling. 